Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. With, us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome back to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel, where we journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. We explore vast and sundry issues in our time. Please be so kind as to leave us a high rating or lovely comment on whatever podcast platform you're using. It makes everyone feel so much better. It... Um, is a good, fun one. Again, today, we're going to return to our series called Classical Studies 101 and our chapter-by-chapter chapter look at the Iliad. Uh, guiding us, as always, is the one, the only, the real-life Indiana Jones, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. Good to be with you again. Previously on the Iliad. In the last chapter, the Greek commanders had sent an embassy to Achilles, entreating him to return to the fray and aid their forces in battle. But Achilles was steadfast in his refusal to join. We pick up the action as the Greeks determine what needs to be done to secure their victory. How about that, Gary? Here's okay. your setup. So okay. we did chapter nine last week, and that's uh, where they tried to get Achilles to join the fight. Where are we now? Uh, catch our listeners up and give them a preview of what this chapter, chapter 10, is going to be about. Well, this, this chapter um, uh, unfolds with more drama, uh, you know, pertaining to the war, of course. And um, it's really about... Uh, the Greeks spying on the Trojans and the Trojans spying on the Greeks. So it, it involves spying. Um, and like the synopsis, I keep saying in this uh, you know, in, in this uh, old translation, but nonetheless a, a good one by uh, Andrew Lang, Walter Leaf, and Ernest Myers, 1883, I was about to say, so it's uh, 19th century. Wow. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Published by the Modern Library in New York. Um, they, their little synopsis of the chapter goes how Diomedes again, who's been underplayed, as we said before in the uh, in the Iliad, you know, or pertaining to the Iliad. Yeah, we need to, the classical world needs to show Diomedes some love. Yes. So how Diomedes and Odysseus. Uh, slew Dolon, who's a spy for the Trojans, and how them, they themselves spied on the Trojan camp and took the horses of Resos, the Thracian king. So that's, in a nutshell, what it's about. Uh, so this is our, our uh, espionage segment. Yeah, it's interesting to think back that, of course, spying has been a part of warfare since the beginning yes. uh, of you know man, mankind, primarily men. Uh, attacking each other, warring on each other. What what do we know, before you get into the details, what do we know about what spies were like in this period? Do you know anything about 
uh, the way people spied or what spies were like in the Trojan in this Bronze Age in this era of the Trojan War? Well, it wasn't like, um, as far as I can see, um, a spy pretending to be, you know, uh, of the opposition or trying to pass for the opposition in order to get close. It's more like literally going up and looking to the enemy lines and trying to, you know, try to overhear something, trying to figure out what they're going to do next. It's really Mm -hmm. that kind of spying. Exactly. It's interesting to think about that. You know, uh, that'll be for another episode. But when that kind of spying came about of going into the enemy lines, getting that kind of information. But, you know, we're talking about, like you say, the very basic of let's see if you can peek in or someone like uh, always using the sports analogy, like going over to the other team's practice and watching their watching them run their plays. Yes. To find out what their strategy is going to be and their moves and so on. Mm -hmm. Their plays. Um Funny, I'll launch into the chapter. Um, okay. And um, <clears throat> again, this is a translation by uh, Robert Fagels of the Iliad. A, a good, solid translation, but uh, as you'll see, not 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 perfect. I mean, I think there's you know some some problems with it. Um, and uh, this translation is published in 1990, um, and he labels the chapter "Marauding Through the Night." So this is a nighttime episode of the Iliad, which is different and interesting from that perspective. The Iliad after dark. Okay. And so um, so it begins like this. So by the ships, meaning the Greek ships, the air lord of Achaea's armies or the Greek armies slept all night long, overcome by gentle sleep, but not their great field marshal. That's how they translate it. Agamemnon. Now Agamemnon <clears throat> to remind the listeners, is the high king of Greece. He wasn't king of all of Greece, but he was the dominant king, the most powerful, most influential. And so all the other kings like Odysseus followed him to Troy. But he was, you know, the equivalent maybe is like King Arthur, a high king in, in England, or other kings, but um, like King Mark and so on. First first um, among equals, first among equals, right? Yes, there you go. So anyhow, um, but not the great field marshal Agamemnon, the sweet embrace of sleep could not hold him. His mind kept churning, seething, like Zeus's bolts when the lord of bright-haired Hera flashes lightning. And uh, so anyhow, uh, and he says, uh, driving on the giant jaws of rending war and so on. Uh, and so he was looking at the uh, <clears throat> fires of the Trojans. Apparently, they were uh, camped outside the walls of Troy, the nighttime fires, and Agamemnon mar- marveled in horror at those fires, the thousand fires blazing against the walls of Troy. And then he heard music and the shrill of pipes, meaning flutes, um, and their pan pipes, you know, a pan pipe, uh, multiple little flutes on one one uh, unit, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so uh, he decides uh, that you know the, the Greeks have to do something. They just can't sleep around, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, so he decides to go see Nestor and see if he could quote work out something with him 
some foolproof plan that just might ward disaster uh, off, off the Greek forces. And so uh, this chapter also <clears throat> specifies their clothing, which is interesting. Because it says he puts on a battle shirt, supple sandals, and uh, dons a, a glossy hide of a tawny lion, you know, as a cape, you know. Any any reason you think uh, Homer might have decided to go into that kind of detail? Is it just to give the viewer, flesh it out for the viewer, or does it give us something extra right? I don't know, moment? but it's interesting because he keeps emphasizing bronze and stuff, and, mm-hmm. it's, and Homer was right in the Iron Age, but uh, the Trojan War took place in the Bronze Age, you know? And um, then it says the same anguish. I mean, you know, concern over their, how the war's going uh, shook Menelaus, too, his brother and, you know, the the king and husband of Helen of Troy. Um, and, uh, and, and it says, you know, then he gets up and uh, covers his broad back with a leopard skin and then lifting a round helmet of good sturdy bronze, and then he takes his spear. <clears throat> so anyhow, he goes um, up, up to Agamemnon, you know, and uh, uh, and and, uh, and he says to Agamemnon, why are we now, my brother? Because he sees Agamemnon doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... Uh, to spur the volunteer to spy a, to spur a volunteer to spy on the Trojan lines. And he said, not a man in sight will take that mission on. Well, they find a man. And Agamemnon answers crisply, tactics, my noble Menelaus. That's what we need now, tactics. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, to counter Hector, Zeus's favorite, who wreaks havoc against our troops. So he's telling him, go now, call Ajax, Edomenius, um, and uh, and I'll go after Nestor to talk to Nestor. <clears throat> so that's what he does. He goes and finds Nestor, the, quote, old commander. He finds him by his black ship. It's interesting that Homer keeps referring to the Greek ships as black in color. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess they were black. Do we not have any uh, other indications just from that time period of what Greek ships looked like? <clears throat> yeah, um, on pottery, and then there's a, a painting of warships on the island of Thera, a mural. And interesting, it's before the Trojan War, but uh, ships may have been the same 200 years later or so, you know, for the Trojan War. Uh, which is supposedly around 1200, 1250 BC. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, those ships uh, looks to me like they carried about 75, 80 people each ship, and uh, they weren't rowed. The ones on the Theramural, they're all paddled like giant canoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's an analogy because there's a royal barge of uh, Thailand and. Uh, it's large. It carries about that amount of people today, and it's it is paddled. It's not rowed like a canoe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's that's interesting. That the way the uh, Greek ships have been depicted previously may not be totally accurate. You know. So anyhow, yeah, Agamemnon goes up and greets him, Nestor, son of Neleus, glory of, uh, of of Kia, and so on. He says, "War is my worry." You know. So. Uh, 
he, he goes on and says, let's go down to the sentry line and see if, if we can find someone. Uh, he says, how do we know that they're not about to attack us in the night? You know, mm-hmm. so that, that is a real concern. Um, and uh, he said, we have to stop the dreams of glory that are now inspiring Hector. Let's wake the others too. Diomedes, famed for his spear, Odysseus, quick little Ajax. There's Ajax the Greater and Ajax the Lesser. So Ajax the Greater is, in this sense, along with Diomedes, one of the other two great Greek fighters. Of yeah, course, Achilles is the first. Achilles is the, the best. Then, then probably uh, Ajax and then Diomedes. Mm-hmm. And then they, they go to meet giant Ajax, giant Ajax, strong as a god, and King Idomeneus. I think Idomeneus is from Crete. <clears throat> he says, uh, and then he wants them to hunt the leading captains and beg all of them for help. Because we're in desperate straits. We can't hold out much longer, Agamemnon says, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so then um, Nestor says, uh, with that, Nestor slips on his tunic over his chest. Under his smooth feet, he fastens supple sandals and pins a, a brooch on his crimson cape. So uh, Homer throughout this chapter talks about how they dressed, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, then they go see Odysseus. And they, they they rouse the old driver, meaning Nestor, rouses him from sleep, shouting out, wake up. And uh, so anyhow, he said, uh, uh, what's, and then Odysseus said, what's the crisis now? What troubles to come? And Nestor replies, royal son of Laertes, Odysseus, great tactician. Uh, no time for anger now. Such misery has overcome our Argives. Follow us, come. So then they, they go and they join the party. They stride towards the son of Tydeus, Diomedes. They find him with all his war gear outside his shelter. And interestingly, he says, uh, where there were spears stuck straight in the gal- ground on their butt end spikes. So apparently the spears had major points, but on the butt end they had uh, metal points too, so they can stick them in the ground, which I think is interesting. Um, <clears throat> he says, bronze point flashing into the distance like forks of lightning flung by Father Zeus, the king of the gods. He said, the old chari- the old charioteer, meaning Nestor, moves in and, and woke uh, Diomedes up roughly, it says. Up with you, Diomedes. What? Sleep all night? Haven't you heard? The Trojans hold the high ground. Of the beachhead here, camps against our ships, only a narrow strip to keep them, uh, keep us from sudden death. You know, so they're urging him to do something. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and he says, "Our armies, our fate. I tell you, stands on razors on a razor's edge." Well, I think that's an inaccuracy because I don't think they had razors then, and I think that's a mistranslation by Fagels. So this is an, a 19th century mistranslation. Just trying to get the context of it. No, no. Oh, this, this is the more recent. Sorry, this is the 1990s. Not you were giving the. It's, it's a 20th 19th century, century one. Is the uh, is the um, is the summary, but the translation. Yeah, it's a 20th, 20th century uh, translation. translation. Okay, so the, other, the hmm. other one I first read is uh, 
uh, Andrew Lang and so on. That that that's the nineteenth century one. So we uh, okay. All right. I wonder why. I mean, I, I imagine they might have had something, right? Just because they were people would shave their faces, their bodies. Maybe they had they used knives for it, but maybe not a razor. So who knows? Okay. All right. So. So they, get this, they, it's a precarious um, position. They, they want to have a place where they can all meet. And so um, they cross out over the deep trench. They, they dug a trench around the – they built a wall between the ships and the Trojans to protect themselves, you know, like a log fence wall. Mm-hmm. And they dug a trench ahead of it so the Trojans couldn't drive their chariots right up to the wall, you know. So it, it says um, – uh, they they crossed over the deep trench and and grouped on open ground where they had a chance to find a sector free and clear of corpses. How about that? There's so many bodies lying around. So that's that's pretty grim, you know. Gives you again. We've talked about this before. Gives you a sense of just how grim, how brutal, how unspeakable to the modern sensibility these these this form of battle was. This isn't you know. It's it's gunplay, gunshots, uh, bombs, missiles are horror, horrific. Of course, this is a different kind of horror. This is hand to hand combat, more or less, and it's bodies just being strewn, cut up, and left where they, you know, apparently, yeah, where they, they were, yeah, recover them, yeah, mm-hmm. because they make a big deal. Uh, Homer makes a big deal about recovering the bodies of the heroes. Right, right, and I mean, I don't know. You would know whether that was something just done for honored warriors and the rest of yeah, the, apparently, the, the people they're just left the corpses, there. They're letting the corpses lie around, and I imagine they're they're both Greek and Trojan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So okay, so go on. Sorry, please. So no, no, that's fine. I like I like your uh, comments. Um, and he said. Um, uh, so he said, uh, this is Nestor, the noble uh, horseman open with a plan. My friends, uh, isn't there one man among us here so sure himself, his soldier's nerve and pluck, that he inf- inf- infiltrate those overreaching Trojans? So he's trying to see if one of them will go spy on the Trojans. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's trying to say that, uh, you know, we need to catch some rumor floating among their lines. What plans are they mapping? What maneuvers next? Are they bent on holding uh, tight by the ships, exposed, or heading home to Troy? Now they've trounced our army, so they just defeated the Greeks. You know that's that's where it's coming from. You know? mm-hmm. And he says, if if we can gather that, then make it back unharmed. Uh, if if a man could gather that. And, and then make it back unharmed. Why? What glory he'd gain across the whole wide earth. So I'm trying to say that they can get somebody to do it. He's going to get this uh, glory, and that's a big deal. So this is a case where they're going, they're going to send a, someone actually into the ranks and pretend. Well, you know, to spy on them. I, I don't know about into the ranks, but certainly up to them to see to what they're doing. To hear, and, and, and they say to catch a bit of what they're saying, too. So, I mean, are we what languages? So the Greeks are speaking in earlier form, obviously. The Greeks, they're they're speaking. The what are the Trojans? What's the Trojan? I think they're speaking like? Greek. I mean, okay. I, I don't buy it that they're... Uh, they're not Greeks. I think uh, you know, there's some uh, revisionists that are trying to say that. And, and uh, 
that well, given uh, given this, it certainly seems like that would have to be. Well, unless, you know, we're, the, unless we're assuming that the the Greek forces had people multilingual. Trump, you know, some you know. are trying to say whether well, Persians and everything, and mm-hmm. um, and um, you, know, you had the uh, early Persian, uh, you know, empire there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I think Troy was a separate. Uh, you know, entity. It had, I think, it controlled what they call the Troad, this area around Troy. You know, mm-hmm. um, and um, and then all the names. You know, Priam and Queen Hecuba and Hector uh, and Paris uh, or Alexandros. I mean, you know, Alexandros. These are all Greek names. Mm-hmm. Alexander the Great was Alexandros, not Alexander, and. Uh, but interestingly, he, he didn't identify with Paris. He, he identified with Achilles, you know. Mm-hmm. And he slept with, uh, I think I mentioned this before, Alexander was out conquering the world. He slept with a copy of the Iliad under his pillow. <laughs> I think you that's... You have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the uh, noble horseman opens with his plan, my friends, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so, anyhow, he's urging him to do it. Um, and uh, so... So uh, Nestor proposed, and all the ranks held their peace, but Diomedes, Lord of the War Cry, spoke up briskly. Nestor, the mission stirs my fighting blood. I'll slip right into enemy lines at once. These Trojans camped at our flank. If another comrade would escort me, so they want to go find somebody else to go with them. He wants somebody to go with them. And so they wind up with uh, battle-hardened, Odysseus, as uh, Homer describes him, you know, mm-hmm. and so he they uh, they approach um, Odysseus, and the, and Agamemnon says Athena, I mean the goddess Athena, the goddess of wisdom and defensive war, that she loves the man, and she does, she loves Odysseus, mm-hmm. um, and um, so they're praising Odysseus about how great he is and everything, and then Odysseus. Uh, much enduring Odysseus. That's another one of his epithets Homer has for Odysseus. Um, and, uh, and and we will learn, obviously, in the Odyssey a lot about what he endures. Yeah. For so 10 years on his yeah. uh, voyage home where he, he's, uh, <clears throat> you know, he's assaulted or encounters all these gods and monsters and everything, you know, and goddesses. So much enduring Odysseus cuts him short. Quote, not too long on the praise. Don't fault me either. You're talking to uh, Greek men and know my record. Let's move out. So in other words, he's, he's, he doesn't need to be praised. He wants to take action. Mm-hmm. And then again, Homer says that, he, you know, that uh, Odysseus uh, grabs his uh, two-edged sword, his shield over his head. He sets a helmet. And then Homer describes the helmet. And this helmet is really Bronze Age mm-hmm. because it's depicted not only on murals, I mean, similar helmets, but it's also depicted in little sculptures of ivory and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a helmet that the war chiefs gave Odysseus, the, the war chiefs of uh, the Greeks. And uh, so Odysseus was given a bow, quiver, and sword. And over his head, he set a helmet made of letter. Marionis is giving him this. 
Mm-hmm. Inside it, it is was crisscrossed taut with many thongs. So it's made of letter, you know, crisscrossed with thongs. Outside, the gleaming teeth of a white tusk boar. So they would cut boar's tusks in slices and, and uh, sew them onto this helmet mm-hmm. in rows. And, uh, and they, so they, they, and this says, uh, they round round and round in rows, stitched tight and neat and tight, a master craftsman's work. And, uh, and then the, the cap in the center was padded with felt. Mm-hmm. Splendid head, headgear, Homer says. So Odysseus' helmet is uh, a major indicator that this is a Bronze Age. It's not classical Greece where the helmets have horsehair crests and stuff like that, you know? Right, right. Okay. And then it says the two men moved out, meaning Odysseus and Diomedes. Athena sings, sends a winged heron, which is uh, veering to the right. That was a symbol of approval from the goddess, you know? Mm-hmm. And then as Odysseus prayed to Athena, you know? And so... Uh, they go on and then they um, um, they pray to Athena and so on. And uh, but then he talks about the whole, uh, Trojans who also can't sleep well. And uh, it says, but no sleep for the headstrong Trojans either. Hector would not permit it. He summoned all the chiefs to a council of war. So in other words, Hector's trying to urge them to uh, send a spy as well. He says, who will undertake a mission and bring it off? For a princely gift, in other words, he's offering a gift. Whoever does it, a gift of a chariot and two horses, you know, which is a big deal, mm-hmm. you know. And so he gets uh, Dolon to do it, and uh, he says all ranks held their peace, but those, but there was a man among the troops, one Dolon. He says, uh, and. Uh, he was rich in bronze. The so Homer's keeps in, in, in bars of gold and so on. Lightning in his feet. The only son in the midst of five sisters, blah, blah, blah. He says, Hector, this mission stirs my fighting blood. I'll reconnoiter the ships and gather all I can. So in other words, he's going to go spy on the ships of the Greeks. He said, I'll infiltrate their entire army. But, you know, he's going to sneak in there. He's not going to pretend to be a Greek, you know. Spy versus spy. So how does this How does this play out? Yeah, this is spy versus spy. Right. And um, so anyhow, um, Dolan uh, takes a, a reflex bow, you know, backbent bow and everything, and, uh, and a pelt of gray wolf, cap of weasel skin and so on, and then he heads out, you know. Um, and uh, and so the thing is that he encounters um, Odysseus and, and uh, Diomedes, and and they they capture him. And so it says the two men overtook him, panting hard, and yanked and pinned his arms. And then it says Homer's trying to put some emotion into this, and he says uh, that. Um, uh, he, 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 meaning Dolon, burst into tears, pleading, take me alive. I'll ransom myself, treasure cr- to cram your house, bronze and gold and plenty of well-wrought iron. So here Homer mentions iron very rarely in the Iliad, but, uh, but he does mention it. But it's not the Iron Age, it's the Bronze Age. And Odysseus, you know, says, courage, death is, is your last worry. And he's trying to get him to provide information. And, uh, so he 
he basically does because he's afraid of losing his life. Um, and then, uh, and then after, after he does, <clears throat> um, and he, you know, cause the guy says, uh, well, you let me escape. I mean, you know, Dolan asked us of Odysseus and Diomedes, well, will you let me escape? He says, but rugged Diomedes gave him a grim look. Escape, take my advice and wipe it from your mind. He says, I'll snuff out your life with my hands. And uh, so anyhow, with that, just as Dolan reached up for his chin to, to cling with a frantic hand and beg for his life, Diomedes struck him square across the neck with his sword. Both tendons snapped, and the shrieking head went tumbling into the dust. In other words, he cuts his head off. Wow. And, yeah, uh, I, I guess the uh, the lineage of how warriors handle this sort of thing has not changed. Yeah, sure. We won't kill you. Don't worry about it. Just give us the information. And as soon as they get the information, they kill them. So, yeah, I mean, that's been in a million spy movies. You yes, know, exactly. Where they say, so don't worry, and then they do kill them. Twas ever thus. Yeah. And uh, so anyhow, uh, so, um, because we're coming up against the, the clock, how do we, how does this finally work out? So the Greeks now get the information by they, heavy they get fate, the information, you know, they get it. you know, by uh, terrorizing Dolan, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and then uh, it says uh, they, they race back, you know, Odysseus and, and Diomedes. And so the two raced in, leapt to the ground, and comrades hugged them warmly and so on, hand clasps, all, handshakes all around, words of welcome. Nestor, the noble horseman, led with a question, tell me, Odysseus, uh, Greeks' pride and glory, famed as Odysseus, how did you get these horses and so on? So they, they stole, in the process of getting information, they steal the horses of this King Rhesus, mm-hmm. beautiful white horses. And uh, Nestor says, I've never seen such Horses, never dreamed of, of such horses and so on. And um, but and then, interestingly, he says, um, uh, they, you know, they reference King Rhesus, uh, their master. <clears throat> but brave Diomedes killed him off and also 12 of his cohorts. And that, that's interesting because it's mentioning the uh, sacred number 12 that I developed a thesis about, mm-hmm. and so on. And then get this, the two, meaning Odysseus and Diomedes, it says, with that, the two fighters cooled, their hearts revived, and into polished tubs, meaning bathtubs, they climbed and bathed, and rinsing off their skin, sleek with olive oil rub, they sat down to their meal, dip, dipping into their cups from an overflowing bowl, they poured them both forth, honeyed wine, and so on. Okay, so wrapping it up, how do we? How would you summarize what happened this chapter? Just kind of wrap it up and set us up for the next one. Well, it, it's an interesting chapter because uh, instead of uh, you know the, the clashing uh, fighting between the two sides, it's about spying. The chapter is about spying, so it just shows uh, ver- you know Homer uh, had some variability in his presentation, mm-hmm. and then. Um, and then, you know, like, like we just said, that it's a classic thing where they, Odysseus and Diomedes capture the Trojan spy, Dolan, and uh, they falsely 
say he's going to be okay if, if uh, he gives him information. And when he does, then uh, Diomedes brutally cuts his head off, mm-hmm. which, which shows that the Greeks have no ethics to me. Well, and, and like a lot of uh, empires, warriors over time, it's the same sort of thing. So, yeah, we, we've seen it before. It's sort of uh, just go ahead. We'll be, you know, we'll treat you humanely. We'll treat you uh we, we won't treat you brutally. And then, of course, they do. So, yeah. Um, all right. So we end chapter you know, it's 10. It's an interesting, varied yeah. chapter is what I'm trying yeah. to say. If we end chapter 10 with this, with a really interesting spy sequence. And we'll be picking up to chapter 11 when uh, next we talk. We'll also, for the listener, we're going to be doing, obviously, more uh, episodes on the classical world at the movies. So we'll have those coming up, too soon so as always let's thank our guy dr gary stickle thank you gary well thank you it's always a pleasure and thank you all out there for listening this is the 34 circe salon the parallax i am sean marlon newcomb and we have been talking the iliad take care <laughs>